We are continuing our series entitled Seasons. It's only four parts because that's how many seasons there are. And last week we started off with summer and we talked about the importance of celebration, that it is something that we are supposed to do. We looked at Nehemiah chapter 8 and we saw that when the children of Israel found the law that God had given to their people that had been uh, hidden from them for so many years that they'd been unable to keep these things, that they were just moved and they were kind of grieved, but they were told, don't grieve, this is a time to celebrate. In fact, go get some food, go get some wine, have a good time. That rhymes, I didn't mean it that way, but it was an opportunity to actually recognize that God wants you to celebrate. And that it is supposed to be a part of our lives and our relationship with living God should be a living relationship. And there is a time to celebrate. And many times we can look down on those things and and see it as not spiritual, but spirituality covers all these seasons. And today we're going to be talking about fall, the season of fall. We have that for about one week every year here in California, right? We, we kind of have summer, then we have winter, sort of. Not in, if you're from the East Coast, you wouldn't call it winter. But that's what we have, and then we kind of transition. But I want to hear, what are some words that come to mind when you think of the season fall? Fireplace, Thanksgiving football, World Series. What? Boots? Boots, okay. Leaves, all right. Okay, here's some things. Uh, I know when I asked on Facebook, some people said color. They said, you know, the change of temperature, you know, moving to it's cooler, having to wear, you know, the the boots. Because um, you can't wear flip-flops when it's only 70 um, outside. It's slowing down, you know, Fall signals a change. Something's changing. And, you know, we see it in the leaves very clearly. And really, it's an amazing thing that happens when the sun is out for long periods of time during the summer, that there are certain things that happen within the leaves themselves where the chlorophyll takes up and they shine and they're bright green. But when the daylight starts to shorten, the the trees know that they need to conserve their energy because winter is coming. And so what they start to do is change and actually not allow some of the nutrients to get to the leaves. And that change causes the leaves to turn different colors. And really what's happening is the tree is starving the leaves because it's getting greedy and wanting to keep the nutrition for itself. And so the, the tree looks beautiful and then the leaves fall because of the change and life is filled with change it's interesting that today our smartphones your smartphone actually is more powerful the computer on your smartphone is more powerful than what was used on the apollo 11 space flight to land on the moon so what are you doing with this, right? I mean, it's like, you should be able to travel the galaxies with this. And there actually is an app that you can look at the stars, but we're not talking about that. 
But what's amazing is how quickly things have changed. Where we never would have thought we would have this kind of a powerful computer in our hands and this small. And if you don't move with change, you're going to find yourself in a place of deficit. Now, not all change is comfortable. In fact, most change is uncomfortable. Whenever there is some kind of change, there comes some kind of learning curve to it. Even when they just change an app, you know, Facebook changed. Oh, no, now where do I find this? I have to look for it. And then there are more serious changes that happen. Change of a job, change of a home location, have a baby. Oh, my gosh, you're going to experience some changes. Say goodbye to sleep. You know, what was that? I, I forgot. And sometimes change can be difficult. And we can find ourselves resistant to that change. And so I want to look at some areas of change and see what we can learn from change and what it does in our lives. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And a little backstory here. Saul is king of Israel, but he's not doing well. And God is now saying that he is rejecting Saul because of a lot of things going on within Saul, the pride that has now taken over his life. And so God is looking for someone else to take that place. And that's where we are in 1 Samuel 16. Verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. That's where Saul is at. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Because if a prophet comes into your town, it's like, what's he here? Is he going to, you know, have prophesy some plague on us? Is something bad happening? Why is he here? It's an unusual situation. Why have you come here? And so do you come in peace? Verse 5, Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height. Let me repeat that. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. 
Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now, the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord had tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you, and you will feel better. So let me stop, because some of you are freaking out when you hear the evil spirit from the Lord right now. Basically, it was their way of acknowledging when something is going on that is bad within Saul, that's what they called it. Okay, they said it was an evil spirit from the Lord. It was something is going on that's wrong in Saul's mind. What is it? Well, God is in charge, so it must be an evil spirit from God that is causing this. It was their way of trying to make us know that something is wrong with Saul. How is it happening? What is happening? They would say an evil spirit from God. That's their way of disclosing something's wrong with Saul here. It's not saying that God has an evil spirit and is putting it there. It was their way of saying something's wrong with Saul. Well, it must be God doing something. Okay? If you have more questions, you can talk to me afterwards, but that's not the point of this passage. Verse 18. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is fine-looking man. And the Lord is with him. Don't you hate guys like that? He's good-looking, plays the instrument. He's a warrior. He's the jock and he's, you know, on the gate, you know. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) sorry. This is my personal insecurities coming out here. And so he continues, verse 19. Then Saul sent messenger to Jesse and said, Send your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit of God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul, and he would feel better, and the evil spirits would leave him alone. Big change happening in David's life. First of all, let's let's give the thanks, Dad, for inviting me to the dinner when the prophet was here, right? It's like... Thanks, Dad. You know, I'm out in the field. Everyone else is here, but is there anyone else? Oh, yeah, there's the youngest. We didn't invite him to come and eat when the prophet was here. He was forgotten. 
which is just kind of telling of the circumstance. And again, at the time, the youngest was there to kind of carry the line. The oldest who was shown first, that was the pride and joy of the father. That was the handsome, tall one. But that wasn't the Lord's anointed. It was David. And so here is David, anointed by the prophet to be the king of Israel. But he's still out in the field. He's still doing basically what he's been doing. And the change comes when all of a sudden Saul hears that there's this young kid who's uh, you know, brave and he's talented. He plays the harp. I hear he can help. And so Saul invites him. And now we see... David moves from being the kid in the field to being an armor bearer. He's in the palace. It's one step in the direction that it looks like God is moving him in. And so it looks like things are good. He got a new job. He's no longer out in the field tending goats. He's actually in the king's palace with the king. This seems like it's in line. I was anointed by Samuel. Okay, things are going to go well for me. It looks good. We, we know from the story that David and Saul's son, Jonathan, become good friends. And Jonathan, Saul's son, recognizes that David is the anointed by God. And he actually gives David his cloak and his sword. And he recognizes that you're the one that God is going to, to sit on this throne, not me. And I'm fine with that. And so things are really looking good, it would seem, for David. The change is a good one. It's one of those changes where it's like, yes, I can go with this. You ever have a job change and you're excited about it because maybe it's more money, it's less drive, it's something you really want to do, and so you're excited about that change. Maybe you're excited because you found out that you're going to have a baby and it's like oh boy we've been trying to have a child and now we're we're going to have a child now there's that excitement very that change that's coming you can't wait for that baby to be due and you're excited there's so many things that can happen that you're excited about that change is going to bring something good but it, it doesn't continue in this vein for david we actually see that it, it kind of goes south And in chapter 18, starting at verse 6, 1 Samuel 18, verse 6, it says, When the men were returning home afterward, David had killed the Philistine, and the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. And as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands. And David, his tens of thousands. Those lyrics didn't sit well with Saul. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me only with thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, An evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, 
and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. It means he threw it once, and then David was still there, and he's like, okay, that was strange. And he's playing the harp, however you play a harp. And then here it comes again, and he eluded him twice. Things are changing once again. This change isn't so good. Now the king wants to pin me to the wall, and it's not a good thing. All of a sudden, the circumstances change. And King Saul, in his pride, in his unwilling to recognize that David is the man for the job, does not want to relinquish his position and he tries to hold on to it. Turn to chapter 19, verses 8 through 10. Once more, war broke out and David went and out and fought the Philistines. He struck them with such force that they fled before him. But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. While David was playing the lyre, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. And the story goes on that now David is going to flee for his life because Saul knows that he has been anointed by God to take his place. He doesn't want to have it. And Saul is going to try and kill David. And David flees for his life for the next 10 to 11 years. 10 to 11 years, David is running, living in caves, traveling just as a nomad to escape the wrath of Paul as Saul as Saul is trying to hunt him down and kill him. Change. And sometimes the change that happens in our lives isn't exciting, is it? Sometimes the change that happens in our lives is actually very taxing on us. It's depleting us of energy. It's it's difficult. And we wonder, why is this going on? God, wasn't I anointed to be king? Then why am I running for my life? What's wrong here? And maybe you've had that question. I think we all have. It's like, God, I'm coming to a place where I'm believing in you and I'm trusting you. Why am I going through this? Why do I have cancer? Why does my wife or my husband or my children have cancer? Why am I dealing with this difficulty? I believe in you. Isn't my life supposed to get better? Because this doesn't feel better. And there are seasons in our lives where things don't get better. There are seasons in our lives where difficulties come. And there is no escaping them. We wish we could. We, We hear Sometimes maybe even preachers saying that if you're a follower of Christ, you know, you're supposed to be healthy and wealthy and wise. And you wonder what's going on with me because that's not the case. And and what we we tend to do is think of 
my life is only blessed if it is in this situation where I'm feeling better. My, my life is only blessed by God if I am affluent or, or having all these needs met. My life is only blessed by God and then we fill in the blanks. And when things don't go that way, we wonder what's going on. But we see that it's a season here for David. Because in 2 Samuel chapter 2, David would be anointed to be king. But then he would have to contend for it. And then in chapter 5, he's finally anointed and accepted as king. And that anointing and that prophetic recognition by Samuel isn't realized until all these years later. When finally... He takes his place as king. And then his life is going to go through changes even after that. Because that is what life is like. You know, our involvement in Haiti, we have been working with Jeannot. As many of you know, he's spoken here before and we've mentioned him quite a few times. Well, the Episcopal Church in all their wisdom, um, have decided that he needs to be promoted and so they've taken him and they've moved him now to Port-au-Prince. So Jeannot is no longer in Mirabelle, where we were, where we built the cafeteria, where we were, built the latrines, where we've been wanting to develop the food program. They've picked him up and now moved him to Port-au-Prince. Change. And I remember I got the email and I think I sent Denise a text right away. Did you get that email? What's this mean? What's this mean? She's like, I don't know. We'll wait and see. Got an email yesterday from Jeannot. And it was beautiful. Thanking everyone who'd been a part of the work that has been done and really just touching on some of the things that he's done while he's been in there. And, you know, we've developed a relationship and a trust with him where now that he's gone, it's uncomfortable. We don't like the fact that it's changed. I really like Jeno. I was just getting to know him. I felt like there was a lot of things that were able to happen and now it's changed. So what does it mean? Well, it means we, we push forward where we're at. But it's difficult, isn't it? It's not as comfortable. I, I like the familiar. I, I like things when I know how things are going to go out and when they change, it makes me uncomfortable. But change is inevitable. It's going to happen. And you see, the problem is that many times when the change happens, we get paralyzed because of it. I wasn't expecting that, and so we shut down. I don't know what to do, and I react in a way that's maybe negative. But you see, for David to get to the place of anointing, he had to go through the change. And the change is subject to people like Saul. The change is subject to things like disease. The change is subject to so many things that can take place in our lives. We have this illusion of control, don't we? We just assume things are going to happen because that's how it happened yesterday. And when it doesn't happen that way, we get confused. We we start to get uncomfortable. But it had to happen. 
for David to get to this place, he had to go through Saul, and Saul was not going to let go easily. And so there was the difficulty. But you see, without that difficulty, there would not be the change. Without that difficulty, he would not have gotten to that place. You see, unless the leaves are starved in the nutritions, they don't turn colors. Unless they start to die, they don't become vivid and colorful and beautiful. And the beauty that we enjoy in the season of fall does not take place without that change. And the same thing happens in our lives. The beauty that needs to take place in our life is probably going to take us through some difficult times of change. And it's meant to. It's meant to produce something of value in us. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Starting at verse 50. Paul says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, meaning die, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You see, the truth of the resurrection of Christ and the the raising from the dead and the transformation of life that is to take place, it's significant and it's true that God is going to transform our physical bodies into new bodies. But the transformation is not just something that is to be seen as somewhere down the line. The transformation that Paul is talking about is something that has happened to us and is happening to us now. There is supposed to be a change now. For too long, so many Christians have been content to separate our future hope with the present responsibility that we are living towards. And so there's been a detachment. Well, it doesn't matter what happens here. It's all going to burn. You know, who cares about this world? No, this is supposed to be the, the new earth that's coming and we're supposed to live in preparation. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're supposed to live our lives in this posture. The new earth is coming and I'm a part of it, so I'm going to live like it is a reality now. 
Not someday when I die, then I'll get there. It's supposed to take my life now. And the idea of this transformation is supposed to transform me now. Otherwise, he would just say, hey, someday you're going to die. Don't worry about it. It'll be all over. But that's not how he ends this. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Why should I stand firm if it's all going to change? Because you are moving towards this position and who you are now is important to who you will be then. The change is happening now. The transformation will be fulfilled then, but it's supposed to be taking place now. Who you are going to be should affect who you are. And so he says we are to stand firm, always giving, let nothing move you. Why would nothing move me? If things are going to change, why should I not be moved? Because there is something I'm holding on to that is stronger than the change. You see, for us to get to the place of spring where the new flowers bloom and where the the leaves turn green again, there has to be the change where the leaves first wither and fall. There has to be the winter where things die so that there can be the rebirth and things come alive again. I just gave away my whole series. But that's what we're going to be doing is recognizing that change is happening now in my life. But I am going to stand firm. I'm not going to be moved. And I am going to continue giving myself fully to the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. See, how is God going to take our prayer How is he going to use our art, our music, our love? How is he going to use our writings, our involvement with our society, our teaching? How is he going to use all of who we are and how God will take this and weave it into a new tapestry of this new creation is the mystery. But he's taking all the things that are a part of what we do now and he's making them of value for then. But the change that is happening now is producing what will happen later on. So instead of resisting the change, What we need to do is stand firm, not be moved, but actually allow the change to shape us into a better person. I know from my experience, it is the difficult things that I have gone through that have had the most beneficial effect on me and impact on me. You know, there there are things that have happened, changes that I've gone through that I have been wounded in. And sometimes those wounds take control of our lives and we become embittered and we become angry and they become our focus and they become our life. 
this last week, uh, Michael, he's not here now, he's with his in-laws at the zoo. Um, Tuesday, I talked with him, and he shared some things with me that I had been blind about myself. He said, you know, sometimes it comes across like you're angry at us. And as I heard these things, I I had to stop and think, where was this coming from? And it was coming from a hurt that I've experienced that now starts to direct how I behave and how I think. And it can be triggered by emails. It can be triggered by encounters with people. It can be triggered by so many things. And then pretty soon what starts to happen is the hurt that's in me starts to be what shapes me. And what God is wanting to do is take the hurt that has happened to you and to me and He wants to change us. He wants to reshape us. The reason David was a good king is because of all he went through in the times of difficulty. The reason Paul was such a powerful messenger was because of the things he went through. In fact, it says of Jesus, though he were a son, yet he learned obedience through his suffering. And it's those times of change that are producing something in us. What are they producing? Because that is our time to grow. That is our time to lean in. And as Paul says... Stand firm. Don't let anything move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I don't like the change. I don't like how I feel. I don't like what's going on. I don't like what they're saying. I don't like the fact that this has happened. Stand firm. Don't let anything move you. In fact, give yourself fully into the person that God wants you to be. He talks about this in one more place in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are going to be made new. We, we are leaning forward, but it's happening in us now, but that is our hope, the future. Remember, hope always speaks of the future. We have such a hope. We are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to present prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. And he's speaking of the nation of Israel, how they're not seeing what Christ intended to do. Christ was intended to to open the door to that relationship with God, not only between the Jews and God, but the whole world. The Gentiles were brought in. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, verse 16, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. 
We see who God is and we are being changed to become like Him. And we're moving from ever-increasing glory. In other words, there is a constant change that is supposed to take place in my life, making me and transforming me to be more like who He is. And that transformation is the change that happens in my life. It's when I recognize my selfishness and I say, you know what, I don't want to be this person any longer. It's when I recognize my hurt that is moving me and I say, I'm going to get over this i'm going to be healed and not be controlled by the things that have hurt me it's when we see those things in our lives and we recognize the glory that god is calling us to we stand firm in who we are supposed to be we're not going to be moved i'm not going to give up i'm not going to quit because i got to get through this to become who god has intended me to be and it's difficult and it hurts but it is so good The reason we enjoy the beauty of fall is because the leaves are dying. They're changing. They're becoming something different. People are going to see the beauty in your and my life when the change happens. But it's difficult. And it costs something. But it's worth everything. So when the season of change comes, and it will come, how we face it and what we do through it is what's going to determine where we will be. Don't resist it. Don't shrink from it. Stand firm. Don't be moved. And fully give yourself to the Lord, even in the change. Because then you will be able to prove what is the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God because you have withstood. And you will come out shining as gold. Let's pray. Father, I'm not alone in this room and having had to face and facing difficult situations. Lord, this room is filled with people who have been hurt. It's filled with people who have suffered in various ways. And Lord, you know our sufferings. And so I pray for those who are here this morning, Lord, who are in that place of difficulty, who who feel like their lives are being strangled, who feel like there is difficulty just facing them that they can't escape. Lord, I, I pray that you would give us the strength, first of all, to see that we are being transformed. We are not just going through something, that you are shaping us through the things that we are going through. May they see, Father, the glory that you are taking them to. And so, Lord, I pray we would stand firm, that we wouldn't be moved, that we would fully give ourselves to you in the change. And, Lord, that we would see the beauty that is here That we would, like James says, count it all joy when we fall into 
various trials because the testing of our faith is producing perseverance. Lord, that in this place, something is taking place. The change is producing something long-term in us that can't be measured. May we welcome your change, God. And may we stand firm in you. Let's stand together. May you see the beauty in the change. May your life be like the trees that show the color. May your life show the handiwork of God in you as you face the changes that come to you. God bless you guys. Have a great day. We'll see you next week.